Thank you for listening to Together for Peace with Reem Gunaim. I want to welcome everyone, and what a pleasure to have uh, Barbara Goen Moller here on Together for Peace as we celebrate the International Day of Peace. What a beautiful and fitting theme this year, Shaping Peace Together, a slogan that encompasses the ethos of our Together for Peace community and the inspiring work of our dearest, um, dear guest, Barbara. Um, our show started in reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic to bring change makers and peace builders together from our living rooms to discuss big ideas, share beautiful stories and collaborative actions for peace while we are quarantined. For us, Peace Day is every day. Every episode, we strive to find ways to continue to come together to create variety of solutions to shape peace together. Thank you for being part of this amazing journey and celebration for peace. As we reflect and celebrate um, on the International Day of Peace, it is important to understand that we live in a world where the most peaceful nations on earth continue to become more peaceful, while the least peaceful places continue to deteriorate. At a time where the peace inequality gap continues to grow, we have a responsibility to take action and reverse this trend. We reverse this trend by protecting human rights for all people. We must start by engaging in positive conversations that bring us together and advance mutual understanding while embracing the inner work involved to learn and evolve together. Each time we collaborate and grow together, we actively shape peace inequality. Together for Peace is a global platform for agents of change from all walks of life we generate conversations that motivate, educate, and activate our online community to cultivate peace solutions that care. Together, we will globally fill the gap to solve peace inequality. To help us fill the gap a little bit more, we are pleased to share our living rooms with the amazing Barbara Goen Muller. Barbara was de destined to be a peace builder since she was three years old. Since then, peace become became her passion, mission, and her lifestyle. From the relationships she builds, um, her professional career, her personal projects, and even her love life, Barbara is intentional about peace being at the center. This is obvious as she projects her contagious positive energy and wholehearted spirit to everyone around her. Barbara, tirelessly strives to awaken peace in her leadership roles, community projects, and international engagements. Her talents, career, and service for peace has her recognized as the most deserving recipient of the 2020 Awakening Peace Award that she will earn on Peace Day this Monday. When it comes to peace, Barbara is never short of ideas and actions. She co-authored revolutionary um, conversations, the tools you need for success you want, as well as 7,500 ideas for a better world. Every week, Barbara hosts an inspiring peace podcast you can find on peacepodcast.org, where she speaks with global peacemakers on ideas, insights, and paths for world peace. She is international speaker on a wide variety of topics and has spoken at the United Nations where she received the spirit of the U UN award. 
Barbara is president of the United Nations Association USA Santa Barbara, co-founder of the Rotary E-Club of World Peace. And we are so honored to have her as a board member of the Rotary Action Group for Peace. She is a lifelong Rotarian who helped orchestrate the first Rotary World Peace Conference in 2016 and is a Paul Harris Fellow. Having Barbara on our show as we celebrate the International Day of Peace is incredibly fitting. Barbara has been close witness to International Day of Peace history and legacy. She is a pioneering champion. Um, she is a pioneering champion for the International Day of Peace as her late husband and former UN Assistant Secretary General, Dr. Robert Mueller, was instrumental in making Peace Day an international celebration. You will often hear Barbara say, peace begins with me, a mantra that she lives by. By keeping peace within herself, she has been able to transmit, to transmit peace to countless others. I can't wait for you to experience the contagious positive energy of the beautiful peacemaker, Barbara Goen Muller. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. What a nice introduction. Uh, I listen to it and I smile because those are the words that I resonate with me. That's who I am. Thank you. You are way more than that, Barbara. I wish I had much more time to describe how uh, the amazing work you're doing. It's not even fair. So I want to start, let's start with our first question. Ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. So tell us about the story of your grandfather and how he inspired you to become a peacemaker. This is really important. You know, right now we're having an influx of immigrants to avoid the places where they're living, where it's not peaceful, where it's war-torn. My grandfather was in Hungary. Hungary at that time might've been called Romania. And they were wealthy. They had a barber shop, they had a butcher shop, and they had things that they could sell and they made money. And then my grandfather was walking home from school and he noticed the coffin maker. And the coffin maker had piled up all these wooden coffins. And my grandfather said, what are you doing? Now, my grandfather at this time was about 17 years old. And the coffin maker said, we're going to need them. The war is coming. And you know, there's this theme today in our talk is going to be about taking action. My grandfather at that moment said, I hate war. I'm not going to be in a war. And he took $5 from the till and got on the next boat to America. That's all he had. He was avoiding war and he came to America. And later you were born to a beautiful family uh, in Denver. So tell us why did you, how did you end up in California? Well, it's interesting because I was born in Denver, Colorado, as you said, and my father had a dream. His name was Clarence, and Clarence wanted to serve on the fire department. He was going to be a fireman no matter what, but the fire department would not have him. I don't know what the reason was, but when something bad happens, you can either, you know, stay there and mope about it or do something. My dad decided I was three months old. We were going to leave Colorado and go visit Grandpa, who now was established in San Diego. Now, my mother was born after all of this. You know, my grandfather immigrated here in the early 1900s. My mother was born in 1917. So she was married and all of that. So we got in the 41 Ford and drove all the way to California when I was three months old. Oh. There you are. That's my mother <laughs> and that's me. You see my little fist? 
I was determined to get up there and do something. I couldn't believe it when I saw this picture. That's me. I'm going to do something. And my mother didn't even want to take me home from the hospital because I had so much black hair. And she said, I'm sure you gave me the wrong baby. <laughs> you are adorable as a baby and now. Uh, and I love this determination pose uh, for peace. Like you were, you were definitely were born to be um, waging peace, Barbara. Thank you. My mother said I, she put this snowsuit on me because it was just, uh, just snowed and the snow had just melted in this photo. And by the time we got to California, she said, you were in a diaper and we got to California with the glorious sun and grandpa was there to pick you up out of my arms and give you a big hug. That is so sweet. Um, so you ended up in California with your family and you obviously had very interesting family story and characters in your family who, um, you know, gone through very interesting life experiences. So what did you learn from your grandfather or your parents about peace and how did that impact your life and the work you're doing today. You know, family's really important. Family is really important. And my grandfather, we lived with him when we got back into California, obviously. And he just loved me. My grandmother loved me. I was cuddled all day long. And at a, so we lived with him. And at about three years of age, I said, that's my grandpa. That's, that's his picture from his passport. See those strong eyes and that he had curly gray hair and dark eyebrows, which I inherited. I'm so glad my hairdresser always says, where'd you get those great eyebrows? And I say, I got them from grandpa. Not only got great eyebrows, but I got great understanding of why war doesn't work. And so at about three, he would start to talk about at the dinner, we always had, we're Hungarian, and we always had dinners together at grandma's house, grandpa's house, my house, my mother's house. And he would say, you're going to be a peacemaker someday. And I would say, but grandpa, I'm only three. And he said, well, just think how long you have to be a peacemaker. Wow. He was a determined man. Look at that strong face. Yeah, it's kind too. It's a strong but kind. It's a really... Um hard thing to combine, it's unique. Um, and I see it in you too, Barbara. Thank you, thank you, Grandpa. <laughs> you have good genes. <laughs> so, um, well, speaking of which, you continued to, um, with your, um, you know, determination and you were uh, instrumental for women um, in, in leadership, like recognizing that women has to play a role in leadership and uh, enhance the conversation and enrich the conversation, we must have a seat on the table. So after your career as a teacher, you decided to become a politician. Uh, why did you run for, uh, to, you know, for office uh, to be a superintendent for schools? What's... We'll go back a little bit. Remember how I said family is so important, they're influencing us all the time. My mother said, well, you have to go to college and you have to get a degree and you're gonna be a teacher. I thought, okay, I'll be a teacher. So I'm here in Santa Barbara, California, and I'm teaching beautiful children at McKinley School. I am loving it. And then I get pulled out of the classroom. Actually, before I even started teaching children, I started teaching teachers. And they pulled me out of the classroom to be a teacher of teachers. Well, after a couple of years, I said, well, am I going to go back to teaching? Because I love those kids. But I decided that I would, I liked working with teachers and I would teach them how to do these little um, 
they were like little learning centers because kids learn at different rates. And so we had these learning centers and everybody fell in love with learning centers. And so then I was teaching teachers how to run learning centers and teaching kids how to have careers and how to be an adult and all the other good stuff. So then I decided maybe I need to do more. And I went to the superintendent of schools and I said, I'm going to resign from teaching. And my mother said, are you crazy? You don't give up a good paying job like that. But I, something was telling me, my intuition was saying, I got to do something. Yeah. So I went to the superintendent of schools and I said, I'm going to run for the county superintendent of schools. Now, the superintendent of the Santa Barbara School District was a different person. But I went to the superintendent of our tri-counties of the Santa Barbara County. And he, it was a Lorenzo de, I think it was Lorenzo. And he said, well, go for it. So I decided I would run. Why? Because we only had one woman in a political office. Wow. And I knew that women had to take their place in the political arena. And so I started to run for one reason. I wanted to make speeches to other women to encourage them to run for political office. And I remember my husband was my best campaign manager. Look at that. Barbara Gomper, superintendent of schools. They were on every telephone pole. They were on everybody's back. And I got the in back of their car, you know, the little bumpers. And I got the endorsement of the Chamber of Commerce, which was unheard of because I had no experience running for political office, but everybody seemed to love me. I ran against four men. I got to speak every place I could find. I spoke at every Rotary Club in town. I spoke at all the women's groups. And I remember after one of my speeches, I, have a, I was talking about, take your passion and make it happen. And Jeannie stood up and she said to me, I'm going to run for superintendent. I'm going to run for county supervisor. I said, Jeannie Graffy, go girl. And she won. And so what I found is if I talked to people, they would do something that they had been putting off. So then I started running seminars. And all of a sudden, I was not only a candidate, but I was running seminars, medium moments, and my career began. Wow. Now, did I win? No, but I won the hearts of the women, which was my goal. My goal wasn't to be the superintendent because I couldn't imagine sitting in an office all day long answering the phone. I needed to be speaking to people. So then um, I didn't win, but I went out and I started my career as a consultant and a keynote speaker, etc. Well, I, I have to disagree with you on one thing, Barbara. You actually won. <laughs> like you, want, you actually want the hearts of people and uh, elevating women voices. And to me, that not that the true win? That is you know how life's a cycle, right? Life's a cycle. Okay. I decide not to teach. We're always a teacher. I'm going to be a teacher till the day I die. And when I ran for county superintendent of schools, Andrea Daniel, this fabulous woman who was the Playboy PR lady, was living in Santa Barbara. She had quit her job. And she said, I'm going to run your campaign. I'm going to do all the PR for you. At the end of the campaign, she said, you're a natural. You could be a PR. Well, I said, I have a suitcase full of degrees. Why not? So we, she said, and then about two weeks later, she brought me an article from, New, from a New York newspaper. And it said, Edward Bernays, now 94, is going to run his last public relations seminar. Edward Bernays is the founder of PR. He's the one who ended World War II. I mean, I can tell you thousands of things, but Google Edward Bernays and you'll understand how important he was. He was in New York and I said to Andrea, okay, I've got an American Express card. Thank you, American Express. 
We bought our tickets on American Express, got into a New York hotel, and the rest is history. He was my mentor till he died at 104. So he and I and Andrea Daniel ran our PR company in Santa Barbara, Ventura, Hollywood, you name it. And that company is called Gun Global Publications, correct? Uh, Gun Global Public Relations, uh-huh. Well, okay, and then uh, that was the mission of your public relations company was to um, promote and elevate accounts that the world, um, that could make the world a better place and produce ethical products. Uh, and one example is that you've done some work with Goodwill. So can you tell us about the Goodwill uh, PR idea and, and what kind of uh, mission you had behind it? Well, yeah, I had so many great clients. And I remember calling the media and saying, I'm a socially responsible PR agency. And they would laugh. You can't be a socially responsible PR agency. It's not going to work. I said, well, you just wait. I just fast forward. <laughs> Pretty soon they were calling me. They wanted to know who my clients were so they could write articles about them so they could build their own reputation. But one of my clients and my one of my very favorite clients was in Ventura, the Commission on Human Concerns for people who didn't have everything they need. Human Concerns. Ventura is a very beautiful town and a lot of homeless live along the, the river, the riverbank that goes into the ocean. And so I'm looking at these women and they have potential, but they didn't have the clothing. You can't get a job if you don't have the right clothing. So I said, let's do a Goodwill fashion show. So all the women, I got them out of their old camps and I said, come with me, you're gonna go shopping. And the Goodwill said, we could take whatever we wanted, shoes, anything. And so we dressed them to the nines with things from the Goodwill. And then we did a fashion show. And these women were parading down the Hilton's, you know, little staircase and putting their hands on their hips. And they were gorgeous. They all got jobs. Why? They were dressed appropriately and they also wanted a job. If you're dressed appropriately and you don't have a skill set, you're not going to get that job. They had the skill set, they had the desire, and they became employed. And I remember the Commission on Human Concerns. Every year we would do these little fashion shows and motivate even high school girls to look your best. And that's what I always believe. Look your best no matter what. I used to, when I had my PR company, it was really going. And I was working in people, getting people on New York shows. I would wake up in the morning, jog around my house and jog around the block for a couple of miles. And I'd come in, put on my high heels because I knew if I talked in high heels, I'd have energy. So I'd sit at my desk with my high heels on and talk to the media and they'd say, what are you doing up so early? And I said, well, I want to talk to you about, let's say, let's say Melvin, because Melvin has a product that I know your audience is going to want. And then we would start the conversation. So I would be done jogging about six in the morning, which was nine o'clock in New York. And that's how I got my clients on the New York shows. Uh, you're uh, just an example of feminine power and beauty and that we should celebrate uh, the things that we are proud of as women and channel that to achieve our missions and an understand our understanding of the world and the women around us as well. Um, so Barbara, speaking of fashion, uh, your first, you were, um, you went to, to Rotary and you decided to, um, or, or tell me why did you buy your black dress? Why, you, you, yeah, just tell me about your black dress. Well, why now you I have an office in Ventura 
I have an office. I haven't opened my office in Santa Barbara. I live in Santa Barbara, but I decided you have to always go out of town to be a miracle worker. So we moved into Ventura. We went to Ventura every morning along the beautiful ocean, and we had an office in the old Tricor building. And that, we got it for free because we were working with so many nonprofits. And this is right down from Unipro Serra on the top of the hill there on California Street. So we had this gorgeous office that we weren't even paying for. And we were doing so well, we had so many clients. I said, let's open up a Hollywood office. That happened after we did the public relations for the brand new hotel in town. And we did that with such a glamor. We had trumpeters on the roof and anytime anybody would drive, it would go do do And in came this person who was coming to the party. Well, they had just built a new building in Hollywood. And again, they said, come on down, we'll give you a free office. So I went to Hollywood and I opened up my free office in Hollywood to take advantage of some of the movie stars who were doing ethical work. And so at that time I had a lawyer because I was copywriting a couple of things. And it was now we're talking about 19, probably 87. And my lawyer says, do you know what? We can allow women into Rotary. And I, <laughs> you've never had women in Rotary. I know, but the court said we have to allow women. So. I would like to invite you to be the first woman in the Hollywood Rotary Club. And we meet on Thursday at the Hilton. Now, no, it was the Holiday Inn next to the Hollywood sign. Well, I said, okay, I'll do it. But I'm coming to the first meeting and I'm going to ask the men if they want a woman in the club because I don't really want to be uh, somebody they don't want. He said, oh, sure, come along. So anyway, um, I went to the first meeting and I came in and Max introduced me. This is Barbara Gone, and she has a public relations company called Gone Global. So we would like to ask her to be our first woman member. And the men said, okay, we'll have her. So I said, okay, thank you. Well, you have to go through your initiation and all that, right? Then you get to make a speech, an acceptance speech, so they can decide if they need you. So I went home. I was living in Santa Barbara still, and I thought I have to have the perfect dress. And so I went to Robinson's women's department and I found this gorgeous black Santana knit dress, just about like what I'm wearing now with a nipped and little waist and this beautiful long sleeves. And I could wear my jewelry with it because I love jewelry and I always wear my pearls. And um, I we bought the dress. Jewelry. We well, love your jewelry too. I love your jewelry too. I always wear jewelry. My granddaughter, Bridget, said, Grandma, put on your jewels and come visit. I always wear jewelry. Anyway, so I go into Robinson's and I buy the dress, but I'm really nervous. You know why? That dress was almost $1,000. And this is in 87. And I said, but it's worth it. And there I am when I went to Paris. Four years later, I wore my black dress. I wear that black dress. I wore that black dress to the meeting. And of course, I was accepted immediately. And um, it's it's been my wonderful dress. I love the power story. dress. Huh? I love it. the power dress. I love that you're like the first woman in your Rotary Club. Like you're a woman who pioneered leadership for women in Rotary, um, and you did it with grace and style and charisma. I love this. Um, this dress just resembles a lot. So, uh, Barbara, speaking of leadership. You are a master of engineering public consent because you are a politician, people love you, you're now a public relations um, master and a podcaster and all these amazing things. What is the secret to engineering public consent? 
that's what Edward Bernays taught us. When I was with Edward Bernays, he said, the first thing you always do when you're in public relations is you sell the benefits. You sell the benefits of that product or that service or that university. What, what sets you apart? And so he said, now I'm going to teach you this wonderful magic formula. It's called the engineering of consent. The engineering of consent is based on the principle that whatever you want to sell to somebody or you want their attention or you want them to win the political campaign, then you have to start with awareness. They have to know you're there. So you think of all the ways you can get them to know you. And he said there's a magic formula and that is the number seven. You have to tell them seven different ways to know about you. So get on the radio, get in the newspaper, do something that will be a community service so that they get to know you. Then the next part, awareness, information. Give them information about it. Again, the seven steps between understanding, yes, I want to know more about it, to the decision to do something. So it's awareness, information, and then persuasion to do something. And I'll give you a perfect example in a minute. Awareness, information, persuasion, reassurance. This is the one everybody forgets. They forget to thank the people who are changing their minds about a product or a service or voting for them. If I were running for president, I'd thank everybody who's out there thinking about me right now. I'd thank every, I'd start with just Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Awareness, information, persuasion, reassurance, they did it right. And then evaluation, how is it working? And you have to have all five steps. And then once you know how it's working, then you can begin to engineer the consent of the public you depend on. You almost have the word Kleenex out there as a model. You know, we, you know, we don't call it a tissue, we call it a Kleenex. That's a, that's a brand, a brand, they branded it. But anyway, when I was in Santa Barbara, one of my clients was water because it was the early 90s and we had the worst terrible drought. And nobody believed us. They didn't even believe it because they could turn on the water and the water would come out of the tap. So we didn't have a water shortage. So we rented a helicopter and we went up to Lake Gibraltar, which is our one of our water sources for Santa Barbara. And in that lake were huge cracks where there used to be water. And we took a picture and put it on the front page of the news press, our newspaper. And we said, now there's a water shortage. Let's show you what the lake looks like. There was awareness, but we didn't stop with just awareness. We gave them information of what they could do. Only three things. You never give them five. They can't do five, but they can do three things. And so then we would find people who had to bring in their water bill for giving them presents. Once they had changed their water use, from a high number to a low number, they got a water bucket, a bucket that they could put in their shower and save the water. And we gave them cups. I'm saving water. I'm drinking out of a, this cup, I'm not, whatever. And so the long story short, we changed their water use behavior so fast, so well, that the desol plant we installed had to be shut down. But that's public relations. It's amazing. And you've used that scale per piece as well. So after, um, so then tell us how um, you created the a World Peace Conference 2000 days prior to the 2000 year. What was the goal of this conference and what, why did you decide to, lo to lobby for such a conference to happen? One of the things I have learned in my life is spend time with people who shout your values. And I was, I was very verbal. And I was out there in this Santa Barbara community doing public relations and people got to see me and know me. 
and they knew I would listen. One of the things I did to get the water campaign going and the bringing in the retail to Santa Barbara is I held town meetings, brown bag lunches, and we would sit around and talk and I would write down everything they said and they saw that I listened. So long story short, along comes this opportunity to bring this to La Casa de Maria. La Casa de Maria. Doesn't that make you feel healthy and holy? That was a retreat center in Santa Barbara founded by the IHM nuns. And the mayor of Santa Barbara, Hal Conklin, says, I'm going to put you on the board. I said, Hal, I don't have time to be on the board. Oh, I'm not going to make you do too much, but just get on that board. And I went to the first meeting, and it was the most amazing group of people who were shouting my values. And I said, I'm here, I wanna learn. Don't put me on any committees for a year. I wanna learn everything there is to know about healing the soul from within, bringing peace to the planet by our own peace. And so I served for 25 years. Wow. On about the 23rd year, I said to the board, don't we wanna do more than just heal the people in Santa Barbara? Where do world leaders go to heal? And they said, we don't know. And I said, me neither, poor things. All they ever do is get asked to do something. We need to heal those world leaders. So Douglas Gillies was at this meeting and Don George, the director said, well, what could we call this meeting? And uh, Douglas looked outside and he saw people playing golf. And he said, what do they do? They, and then, oh, let's call it the Invitational, just like they have for golf tournaments. We invite the best players. We'll invite the world leaders here to be at La Casa de Maria and celebrate their ability for a whole week to be fed and taken care of. All they have to do is get here. And that was the beginning of five Invitationals. The first Invitational was done by Tom Van Zandt, who invented the geosphere. And he came and he said, and they have to have a question. World leaders aren't going to come just to play golf. World leaders are going to come because there's a reason. So we always had one question. And this question was, how can the world go from linear thinking to global thinking? And Robert Mueller got the invitation from Tom Van Zandt. He invited 100 world leaders. And on Robert's Return to us with his RSVP, he wrote, I will attend with enthusiasm. Well, I paid attention. With enthusiasm, I'm the most enthusiastic person around. <laughs> and with enthusiasm, I got to get to know this guy. So Don George says, now, you're going to be in charge of Robert Mueller. And I said, okay. He said it with enthusiasm. But I don't know who he is. And he said, you'll find out. Don't just, just hang out. And so pretty soon, and then he says, oh, and one other thing, you have to find him three paid speaking engagements. And I said, okay. He said, you know, he's in Costa Rica. He just started the university for a piece and he can't afford to pay it for his plane ticket. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I called up the rec relief and no, it was the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation, David Krieger. I said, David Krieger, do you know Robert Mueller? He said, do I know Robert Mueller? He's my mentor. I said, whoa, he's your mentor. Hmm. And he says, I'll pay $1,500 if he can come here and speak. And I said, absolutely. So then I go to Mind Supermind. He gets another $1,500. And at Mind Supermind, Robert Mueller stands up and does this amazing speech. And I'm sitting in the audience. And he gets a standing ovation. And the lady who was running it, Ann Cameron, said, We've only had five standing ovations in the 20 year history in your husband, your husband. At that point, this man you brought, Robert Mueller, 
is one of them. And I, and he was unbelievable the way he could speak. And so we finished up the Casa, La Casa de Maria week long invitational. And then Douglas said to Robert, would you like to lead the next one? And Robert said, sure. And, Robert, and so what is Douglas saying? And what are you going to talk about? He said, the meaning of life and the meaning of death. And so he invited 100 world leaders to join him the following year. And we had the second invitational. Now, we have been communicating. Long story short, we fell in love along the way. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barbara, you wore the same black dress to attend that conference where you met uh, Robert. This is the first picture of Robert and me at that first conference. There he is. Now, he's, not a, he's 20 years older than I am, but I fell in love with his words and his soul and his vision for peace. And so I grabbed the photographer at this conference and I said, get over here and take our picture. I think this is important. And here I am in my black dress with my pearls. And there's my dear Robert who, you know, look at his head. I don't know if you can see it, but he had this little angel on his head. We don't know where that came from, but it was pretty special. Anyway, long story short, this picture is like a keepsake for me. And I put it on my counter at home and I'm thinking this Robert Mueller, he means, so in order for him to do the next invitational, we all get in a big airplane and we fly to Costa Rica to find out who this man is. And I wear my black dress to Costa Rica. The same so, black dress that I wore at the Lacoste. I wore it everywhere. I'm in Costa Rica with this black dress and everybody else is in shorts and Zoris and I'm wearing a black dress and high heels. I don't care. I need to look cute even in the jungle. So I did. <laughs> and you always look cute. So um, you were very impressed. So you noticed Robert when he did the speech at the, at the World Leaders Peace Conference that you've organized. And then you got to work with him. Can you tell us, I, I like love stories. So I want to ask. And that was the 2000 days to the year 2000. That was the cement of our relationship. Wow. Because in 1990, was it four or six? Anyway, one of those, I think it was July 7th, 1994. There were 2,000 days to the year 2000. And I stood up to all these world leaders and I said, I'm the PR lady for Lacoste and I want you each to tell me one good idea that I can put in a book. So we'll have 2,000 ideas for the year 2000 because we are at a marking. We are 2,000 days to the year 2000 today. And Robert stood up and said, I'll do it. So from his little cabin in Costa Rica, he would send me by snail mail, because he typed on the typewriter, he would send me by snail mail these ideas. And I just kept, could not believe it. These ideas kept pouring in, these wonderful ideas. And so I took them to my typist. I had them edited. I sent them back to him. And this began, our, I could hardly wait to get the mail because I'd see this all squashed up thing full of white out and ideas. And I'd take them to my typist and they came out beautiful. And we had these 12 volumes of 2000 Ideas and Dreams for a Better World, which became 7,500 before he died. And uh, do you remember the moment you fell in love and you decided to get married? Well, it, it was a kind of an uninterest. I don't know what to say. I wouldn't say uninteresting, but it was kind of an inspirational moment because I was driving him around Santa Barbara the second year he came, which was his big day. You know, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of death? And I was driving him around and showing, this is Santa Barbara, dear, and this is where I was teaching, and this is where I ran for superintendent of schools, and this is this and this. 
And then we get on our way back to La Casa because that's where we all stayed for the invitational. Um, we're in front of Cold Springs School and Robert, I said, oh, Robert, I just love you. You know how you say that. Oh, I just love you. He looks at me with his big eyes and he said, and I love you. And I knew I had a 30 second window. If I said I loved him back the same way, my life would change. Wow. And I just said, okay, um, I love you too. And I knew that my life was going to be different. I was ready for the challenge. Now, why? Remember what my grandfather said? I was going to be a peacemaker. And here was this man of peace who comes to me in La Casa de Maria. I'm in Santa Barbara. He's from Costa Rica. What are the chances of that happening? That destiny will find you. Remember that spiral I said? Destiny will find you. Pay attention. Pay attention. And I paid attention. And we went back to La Casa. And everybody was in this Holy Spirit place. And Sig and I, uh, darling Sig, I too just passed. Robert and I were sitting in the car having a romantic time. And everybody said, where's Barbara and Robert? Nobody knew. <laughs> so, it was so cute. And he says, can I kiss you? And I said, okay. <laughs> he was a gentleman to the end. And he would always say, can I kiss you? I said, oh, sure. Go right ahead. <laughs> this is so cute. <laughs> that's how it happened. You, you just warmed my heart, Barbara. <laughs> so cute. So, um, so it's just, you know, love is, is really essential to peace. And it's, it's, manif it's fascinating. It's incredible how this is literally how your life, like there's actually measurable things that we can attach to that through your, li your life story and love story. So, so you decided to marry uh, Robert. We didn't get married right away. Yeah. Um, we didn't get married right away. And um, we just, we dated and went all over the world together for three years. And then one day my, we're living in Dobbs Ferry and we're drinking a glass of champagne. And my mother calls and says, don't you think you should get married? And I said that to Robert. I said, Robert, my mother thinks we should get married. Oh, let's get married. And I said, okay, let's get married. And um, I said, now, Robert, I believe in destiny. And if we're supposed to get married, I want to get married next Friday. This is Sunday. And I put it out in the universe. Okay, God, if you want us to get married, then it's going to happen. So I made two phone calls, one to Don George at La Casa de Maria on Sunday. And I said to Don, Don, I just was asked to marry Robert. What a good idea. You've been alone too long. Now you marry him and his wife died and you need to be together and you'll be a companion. You'll have companionship and you'll have a love life. And I said, okay, Don. So I called my children. Robert called his kids. Everything was so smooth that we got married at noon on Friday. My two children were there. His 11 grandchildren were there. His children were there. And we had the wedding on the Hudson River and the mayor married us. And there I am in my black dress. Why? Well, I had no way to go shopping. I'm in the Hudson Valley. I'm not going downtown and buy. These are my granddaughters. And that, that day when we got married, the uh, chart house was next door. So we had our reception at the chart house and we're eating a mud pie in the middle. And, and it was so cute because my grand, these are my granddaughters, the youngest ones. And they said, grandma, you can't wear a black dress at a wedding. 
I said, I know, but I'm going to give you flowers and you're going to be flower girls. Well, they could care less what I was wearing after they got to be flower girls and my bridesmaids. So they wore their crowns and their flowers. And I remember this woman coming up to us and saying, you have such a beautiful family. And I said, I do, don't I? And, and I, I had all those stepchildren and all those grandchildren. It's it's beautiful photo. I just love it. It's the you know everyone is happy. I love your black dress at the center of it all, um, and just it's adorable. So um, Barbara, ten year old dress. That dress was ten years old when I married Robert, but that's a Saint John knit for you. Yes, and so this is the same dress um, that you bought for the Rotary Club, and it's the same dress you actually met Robert for the first time in the conference and the, the dress you married um, uh, Robert with, it's, it's amazing. So then you, through your like relationship with Robert and your marriage, um, you go to Costa Rica, you leave your fancy lifestyle in Santa Barbara and you went together with Robert and lived in a cabin in Costa Rica to build the University for Peace. What is the story of the University of Peace? And well, why the University for Peace was already built, Reem. Um, Rodrigo Carrasso had come to the United Nations and it was in the mid, mid or early 80s and he said, my um, compadre wants to give uh, 200 hectares, which is about 7,000. 200 hectares would be about 700 acres for the building the University for Peace. And he told the whole General Assembly that he was going to give this property if they would build the University for Peace. So Robert was up on the 37th floor as Assistant Secretary General and he hears this and he runs down and he says, Rodrigo Carrasso, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you build the University for Peace. So Rodrigo says, okay, I'm gonna send you an airplane ticket and I want you to come to Costa Rica next week. Okay, okay, I'll do it. So Robert gets there. There is absolutely no road. It's the poorest, the poor town you've ever seen. Ciudad Colon is like, you know, mud flats almost and corrugated roofs because they used to be a cow town where the people were employed taking care of the cows. But after McDonald's pulled out from raising cows there, they lost their livelihood. They had nothing. They had to eat off the farm and do whatever. So Robert goes back to Costa Rica after he had been pulled to see the property in a donkey cart. And he says to the Secretary General, well, forget that idea. We're never gonna have a Costa Rica University for Peace. And Robert said, but it's so sad because Secretary General Utant said, we're never going to have peace without a University for Peace. But he forgot about it. And then one day he's sitting in his office on the 37th floor and in comes Sasakawa, who was an ex-Japanese war criminal. And Sasakawa says, tell me about this University for Peace. And Robert says, no, oh, it's too bad. We're not going to have it. We don't have the money to build it and the UN will not support it. And so Sasakawa said, tell me more. So Robert talks about his dreams for a peace curriculum and conflict resolution and mediation skills and bringing international students who were in their master's program together to learn to love one another from different countries, similar to the United Nations. Sasakawa says, that's the way it should be. We should have a peace university. And I'm going to write you a check. You know, I didn't want to be a war criminal. I didn't want to go to those concentration camps, but I was Japanese and I had to go. So I decided in that camp, when I got out, I was going to make millions of dollars. So I went back to Japan. I was free and I started boat racing. 
and we had those speed boats and we had racers and people took bets on them and I made lots of money on those people betting and losing and I didn't mind if they lost because I made lots of money. So long story short, he hands my husband a check, $1 million. And in Costa Rica in the early 80s, that's about the same as $5 million. He gets on the airplane, goes back to Costa Rica, gives Rodrigo Carrasso the million dollars. The rest is history. The university is flourishing. But there's one little caveat. Robert bought all the property next to the university because his poor peasant said, my grandpa died, my grandma died, and I have this piece of property and I have no money. Would you please buy it for $75,000? We're talking 10 hectares. We're talking a huge piece of land. 75,000? Robert said, and then he says, okay. He said, what else am I gonna do with my money? We have this amazing piece of property next to the university. Long story short, it is gorgeous. And we lived in the tiny little cabin that this mama that who had just died raised her seven children in. And I would go in that office sometime and I had pulled all the partitions down and I could feel the energy of those children who had lived there. I could feel the energy of this mama who raised those children on this beautiful piece of land. So that's how we got this cabin. We just lived in the same cabin they lived in. And so um, this is a, ph a phenomenal story. So did that University of Peace inspire other universities of peace later in, um, in um, the world to start? Not really. They really didn't. Um, we had one in Japan and then we had one here, but it seemed to be enough. But the Rotary came in with their peace fellows. God bless Rotary. I was so proud. I wear this pin so proudly because Rotary is peace. 35,000 Rotary clubs working for peace could change the DNA of our planet if we let it. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Barbara. So back to the cabinet. Um, so that was not, uh, you know, you were there because you had to take care of their university to keep it. He was the chancellor. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, he was the chancellor. So you were there, but living in the cabin was not easy. Uh, so can you tell us about the miracle pie and how that changed your your we were there for a long time, maybe three years. And by then we had gone to Costa Rica. We had gone to Santa Barbara. We'd gone to Santa Barbara and I would say, oh boy, I have a car again. I have carpet on the floor. I have a refrigerator. Oh boy. And so um, one day in Costa Rica, I said, Robert's always down at the university being the big professor. The students adore him. He was always talking about love, which was fascinating. These students would just flock to his courses because he would talk about love your earth, love each other, love the planet. And I'd be up on the cabin and sometimes I'd go down for lectures and these great people would come like Ted Turner or um, the people from all over the world would come in. So he was down at the university and one day I was home and I said, that's it. I'm all by myself up here. I had enough mosquito bites to last a lifetime. I'm leaving. I'm gonna go take a shower and I'm gonna leave the front door open and maybe they'll steal everything so I'll have to leave. So I get out of the shower and I smell something and I look on the dining room table and there's a hot mango pie. I was so sad and so hungry, I sat down and ate half of the pie. <laughs> And you can imagine, put all that sugar in a lady who's half depressed. Man, was I happy. And then I thought, what am I doing here? I'm eating this pie. I don't even know where it came from. So I call up my friend, who was the owner of the founder of the Radio for Peace International, Deborah, who was a great baker. And I said, Deborah, 
did you bring that mango pie? Oh, Barbara, I'm so sorry I couldn't stay. You were in the shower, so I left. Of course I brought it to you. Don't you remember I told you three years ago I was going to make you a hot mango pie three years ago? And she said, something told me I had to bake it this morning. Wow. Now talk about your angels working for you. I said, Deborah, this is a miracle pie. I was getting ready to leave Costa Rica and go live in Santa Barbara in the comfort of a home with everything I need. But that pie and my brain now that's full of sugar is thinking of new ideas. So I said, Deborah, I would like to start inspiring conversations at the Radio for Peace. While Robert's teaching at the university, I'm going to start my first radio show. Not my first, but the one I'm going to do in Costa Rica because it could go all over the world. And I would interview people like George um, from the Gallup organization. I'd interview uh, Ted Turner, whoever came to the university. I was interviewing them and I could walk to the Radio for Peace. So then I said, I'm going to change the way I live here. Now, if I'm going to be in the dirt, I'm going to raise Nona Gardens, and I had orchids everywhere. We built a terrace and we had plants everywhere. We looked just like a botanical garden, but I made a decision to stay. That pie was the miracle pie that changed my mind. And it's very fascinating because uh, the life or the work for peace is, is a hard thing to do. It's not, it's, it's like you have to invest a lot of energy and time and um, but sometimes we need each other's support and kindness, acts of kindness to keep us resilient. And that, that is kind of the, I think the lesson behind the miracle pie is that it's um, sometimes acts of kindness keeps us resilient and to do the work for peace. So then you found harmony, uh, Barbara, and can you tell us about how you felt harmony with, um, with dinner, when you have dinner with Robert and the animals. Can you tell us? Well, it's so funny because I would wait for Robert to come home from the university and he was always whistling. So I knew he was coming home because I could hear his whistle. And as he would go to the university for peace every day, he started planting these pitahayas. Pitahayas are these beautiful cactuses that bloom these beautiful flowers in the middle of the night and then they produce this fabulous fruit. And um, he would take, take them off our plant and plant them all down up and down our road. And then when he would come home, he'd water them from water that he carried in a cup or whatever. Long story short, every night we would have this banquet. We would sit on our terrace that now was gorgeous. The cows would come home, the horses would come home, the chickens would come home, the roosters would come home, the dogs from the entire neighborhood would come over, about seven dogs, five cats, and we would sit down and not one chase, the cat didn't chase the dog, the dog didn't chase the cat, the rooster didn't chase the chicken. And people would come over and watch this harmony of animals and Robert and I. And I would throw corn to the chickens, I would feed the dogs, I would bring our pet turkey, his special corn, because his name was, um, I'll think of it in a minute, this pet turkey, slept on our roof every night to protect us. Have you ever seen a mad turkey? He was better than a dog and he would sleep on our roof. Pablo, Pablo our turkey, he would sleep on our tin roof up there. We always knew he was there because we could hear this scratch, 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 scratch. And we'd say, he's going to sleep now. The chickens after they ate would fly into the trees because they knew the coyotes would eat him if they didn't. And they would all go to sleep and the dogs would sleep on our terrace. Pablo would sleep on the roof, the chickens would sleep in the trees, the dogs and every, we were in harmony. And people would say, how do you do that? My dogs fight with my cats, my cats, I, it's your attitude. 
It's what you feel inside. Your animals are smarter than we are. They feel, they have more empathy than we have. They know we're gonna feed them and we're all okay. So it was beautiful. And Robert and I would have a glass of wine and we'd be in harmony. And we would buy this gorgeous wine from the town that the town people had made. It was so beautiful. After I said I was gonna stay, I really stayed. Um, we also were very aware of something else that we had bought the property that was the, where the legend of Mount Rasur was. And if you wanna know what the legend of Mount Rasur is, I want you to go to robertmuller.org and look up Mount Rasur. And you will see the beautiful story of why peace from this land will go to the entire world. And you'll find that story on that one. And for those of you who liked our 7,500 ideas and dreams, every day we hand out good morning world and we have an idea and a dream and something modern in there too. And my husband said, I'm gonna run for super, I'm gonna run for the United Nations Secretary General as a first global citizen. Well, they didn't want him. They didn't want a global citizen. You had to be from a country. So Robert said, darn, I was gonna write Good Morning World. And I said, Robert, don't you know, this is the era of the internet. You don't have to be Secretary General. So we began and easy as our director of our, we now have 20 years of Good Morning World in the archives. Wow, this is amazing. We're definitely gonna uh, Google you on the internet and find uh, the 1,700 ideas for peace. And um, so Barbara, one of the things that you and Robert worked on was the peace charter for we, the people of planet Earth, that it, you know was inspired by all these experiences, travels around the world, the, you know, even uh, having dinner with animals in harmony. So can you share how did this came about and what would you like to do with it? Well, you know, my life changed um, after Robert passed away in 2010. And what was so interesting, he passed away on the eve of the International Day of Peace, which he was instrumental in making and making it an international holiday. And I must tell you, this happened because Pathways to Peace, Eamon Madison and Robert worked together. And um, he, one of the people on her board was a calendar maker. And he said, I'm gonna put the International Day of Peace on September 21 on every calendar that we produce. And that's how it got to be on all the calendars. Now you don't find a calendar without, right there up in front of me, International Day of Peace. It's on every calendar. And that's what you need. You need these little miracles to happen as you're doing things. But it's interesting, you, that idea of the, the peace charter. Well, the peace charter is something that came after Robert died. I've always wanted to have, like the United Nations has their charter, and it should be revised because only 47 of the um, countries ratified it. We're in the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. And um, I said, we need a charter for peace. So I wrote this, I with Dot Maver in New York wrote, peace charter for we the people of planet earth. Peace is created by right relationships with oneself, other persons, other cultures, other life on earth, and the larger whole of which we are all a part. That came from the UN Earth Charter, which was housed at the University for Peace. Long story short, I have my second, Vine says, in these challenging times, we the people have unique opportunities for transformative change. We need to pursue peace and it starts with me. Next paragraph. And it uses the Rotarian four-way test. Dennis Wong, if you're listening, the four-way test. Is it the truth? 
Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? And it goes on, two more pages. It's the most beautiful charter, the Rotary four-way test. Is it the truth? There you see it. I'm a Rotarian and I believe that we have to answer number two first. Is it fair to all concerned? Imagine if 35,000 clubs with millions of members just had that one caveat. And uh, Barbara, you um, are very instrumental in um, motivating Rotarians to take action for peace. So you co-founded the Eighth Love of World Peace and you uh, co-organized the Rotary World Peace Conference in Ontario. And uh, we are actually very lucky to have you as the board member on the Rotary Action Group for Peace. So why Rotarians in your mind are so cr crucial to world peace? Well, they, first of all, they're, one of the things they believe in is service above self. Uh, when I interviewed 85 of the World Peace Conference at, at speakers, I kept hearing, I said, what does peace mean? And they kept saying, peace begins with me. Peace begins inside. You carry it with you wherever you are. And it's such a blessing. I probably wouldn't have had another relationship with anybody if it wouldn't have been carried inside of me. Because I was at a Rotary cocktail party after Robert died in 2010. This is about three years later. And I'm at this Rotary cocktail party and in comes Sig Watney. And I said, oh, that's a nice, handsome, tall gentleman. And he says to me, can I buy you a drink? Uh, can I buy you a glass of wine? And I said, I wasn't going to have any tonight, but you're so persuasive, yes. And we sat down and started talking. And we realized that he was a Rotarian. At that time, it was 30 years he had been a Rotarian. I said, well, I'm the first woman in the Hollywood Rotary Club. And we started talking. And then he told me his wife had died. Then he told me, she died the same year as my husband, and we've been alone. And then he goes into, he was a Nazi war survivor in Norway. So here he is. He's traveled the world. He was a merchant marine. And he starts to talk about his life as a peacemaker in Rotary. What? Grandpa's coming back again. Here's another peacemaker. And he says, I'm looking for a girlfriend. And I say, I don't want a boyfriend. Why do I want a boyfriend? I have too much to do. But then he told me the kind of girlfriend he wanted. And I said, I can do that. And we've been together seven years. And uh, so I wanted to ask you actually about that. Um, because um, so after your rich life. 92nd birthday party we were giving him. That's my, oh, my dear Sig. God bless you. <laughs> you look adorable together in this photo. Thank you. Uh, it's, uh, I'm really sad because you had to say goodbye uh, to Robert first um, after your long life uh, building peace together. And then you met Seg and you continued to build peace together with Seg who just died this month. Um, last so, week. Last you week. know, I had such a fabulous time with him that I, had, I did everything I needed to do. I took care of him to the end. I had no regrets. I didn't try to get away from him. I stayed with him. Um, even in the end, when his doctor, the doctor, his son was a doctor, we called him up and I said, Jarl, should we put Sig in the hospital? He doesn't want to go and I don't want to put him there, but I want every effort to be made to save this beautiful man's life. And he said, no, you promised him that you would keep him home, keep him home, and we did. And then my precious son, David, came and helped. And my daughter would call in the grand girls, how you doing, Grandpa Sig? Well, he had no real family. So we were his family. And it was so great. He had a family, but they were busy. You know how kids are. They get busy. 
So I wrote a poem about life is about celebrations and goodbye. And this keeps me steady. And then I have his picture here and I have his beautiful rotary pin, which I give to somebody else. Um, and I say, we celebrate the birth of our children, marriages, first communions, bar mitzvahs too. Time to sing and dance. It's our chance to invite those we love to cherish these very special times. And then in only a moment, we invite them again this time to say goodbye. Our last chance to celebrate the gift of life no longer here. It's time for joy and sorrow too. Memories so vivid from a love so true. Our family and friends once again remind us that they care and they're one with you. So I had to read that poem twice. Once for Robert passing, where we had a celebration of maybe 500 people at La Casa de Maria, where he was so famous and my children were there and my children got married at La Casa. And so all of a sudden we're having these wonderful memories and that's what life is. Everything we think and say and do stays for eternity in the ethers. And so he's gone, but he's not gone from my heart. No, and he's alive uh, with the lessons he taught you and taught us. Um, so what did you learn from Seg um, and um, the lessons you've learned from him? There's no Seg. He was the spirit of the United Nations. He joined me at the UN. He became, you know, 40 years at the Rotary, and then he, had, he became a charter member of the United Nations. So I shouldn't say charter, but an elected official. He was the international representative for the United Nations Association, which is devoted to bringing the United Nations to the local level. That's me at the 100th anniversary of our first Santa Barbara Rotary Club. There's Sig and there's Wade Namora, the president of the Carpinteria Rotary Club as we celebrated the 100th birthday of the downtown Santa Barbara Rotary Club, the first one in Santa Barbara. So, you know, we're part of Rotary. Rotary, I never would have thought I'd be a Rotarian. First of all, they didn't let women in. And then when I meet Sig at a Rotary party, I'm thinking, maybe that's why I was supposed to go to that, join the Rotary. You don't know where your life is going to lead you, but pay attention. People say, how do you know which door to go through? I say, go through all of them. You can always shut them after. You don't have to stay there, but just go. And go where people shout your values. I go to that. That was my theme in life. You don't have time to waste. Barbara, where do you find your resilience? I can't even imagine losing a loved one, not only once, but twice. Um, and you love deeply and you care deeply. So I know that your pain is deep. Yeah. So how do you find you are absolutely positive and um, you bring nothing but joy to everyone. How, where do you find the strength and how do you practice this resilience? What's the well, secret? I want to thank you for asking me that question because when I met Robert, I was whole. I was fine. I had a home in Santa Barbara. I had a PR company. I was fine. I was whole into myself. I didn't need somebody to complete me. A lot of people get married so they become a better half. No, you be the whole. And then I said to Robert, as we attracted each other, people say, why are you two together? And I would say, I don't know. And then I realized he was a peacemaker and so was I. And we were like a magnet because we were always together. We couldn't be apart. I could not separate myself from that man no matter what I tried. I knew I had to spend the rest of my life with him as much as I could. So when I asked Don George, I said, Don George, he asked me to marry him. And Don George said, you better marry him. He's the best man on the planet for you. Next, 
I asked Joyce Wyckoff, who had invited Robert to be the creativity of her conference speaker, and she said, Barbara, if you only have 10 minutes or 10 weeks with that man, you take it. He's the best man on the planet for you with your energy and his energy. And I said, okay, Robert, we're getting married. <laughs> That's how we did it. And then comes Sig. And the same thing, Sig says, I want a girlfriend. And I'm thinking, you're 12 years older. Are you going to be okay if I got all this energy? Oh, I'll help you. We're going to do it together. We're going to change the world together. So he had that energy. And everybody loves Sig. Oh, you can't imagine the notes I'm getting. It's just so beautiful. He was Mr. Santa Barbara. He started a company, Sikama. He's just, what can I say? And how lucky I was to find two men to support me. I wrote an article for Thrive Global, and it says, when the man you marry makes you more of who you are. Women out there, if you're going to get married, you ask yourself, is this person making me more of who I am, or am I becoming less of who I am because I have to take care of this bum I think I'm going to marry? And I don't want to say bum because it may not be a bum. It just may not be in your karma. Pay attention. Do you feel fabulous? Are you happy? People say, how do I know if I'm my path of destiny? Are you happy? Are you able to do work that makes a difference? Pay attention. I love that. Pay attention. So Sig definitely made you more of who you are. We've sensed your energy for peace when you, you are the chair of the UN Association uh, of Santa Barbara. Um, and for, for people- eight years I've been president of the United Nations Association after Robert passed away, I realized we don't have peace yet. So I decided I'll be president of the United. I didn't decide, you had to be voted in. And so. you just won this year. We talked about it at the live Facebook live uh, at the beginning, the Awakening Weird, uh, uh, the Awakening Peace Award for 2020. And you will be awarded this on Peace Day on Monday. Monday so, Day. Yeah, so it is such a beautiful way to celebrate uh, your shared time with both uh, Robert and Sig in your life and the men. 25 years between the two of them. 25 glorious years of learning to love learning about peace. They had their own perceptions. I can remember the stories from Robert being in a Nazi prison camp, shooting everybody, and Robert saying, I'm never going to work for anything except peace to his dad. And his dad said, I pity you. How can you be a peacemaker? They'll never make any money and you'll die poor. And so these stories, most of all, they taught me happiness. His book, New Genesis, he wrote 14 books and they're all on Amazon. And I just wrote one book, Revolutionary Conversations. Why? Because I saw people not having conversations. We learn how to talk, but we don't know how to have a conversation. And I always say, if you're in a conversation, you don't know where to go. Remember the old stop sign, stop. Why do you stop at a stop sign? You don't go forward unless it's safe. Same with conversations. Absolutely. So Barbara, for those who we just, because we mentioned the UN Association before we move to Q&A, uh, in a minute. Uh, can you tell us about what is this uh, organization? What's the mission? And I know that Sig, because of his stories surviving a Nazi camp, um, he inspired a lot of the human rights awareness you uh, do and the initiative. So can you tell us also an example of a I'll human rights? I'll give you a two-minute overview. Yes. The United Nations Association was created 
in order, we're now having also our 76th year, we were one year older than the United Nations. We started, our chapter is the oldest chapter in the United States. We're 76 years young. We are the chapter, and all the chapters, we have 220 UNAs, and I want every Rotarian to join a UNA for $25 a year. You can be part of the Global Voice on the 75th anniversary of the UN. So I'm going to tell you that what we do is we bring the concepts of the United Nations to the local. We work on the local for the global. Our chapter has worked on human trafficking. They worked on the human rights. We had somebody pertain, uh, be Eleanor Roosevelt, talk about how she became the champion for human rights. And, the, and then this, now we have the sustainable development goals, which are key. You can go on unasb.org and look at these sustainable development goals. My intern is the ambassador for the 16th Peace, Justice, and Strong Institutions. These sustainable development goals, Rachel Pittman, the UNA USA president, was just on my peacepodcast.org talking about this. We are now in the decade of action. I sound like a apostle up here. Oh, now you're all going to get together. We're going to do the sustainable development goals. But the sustainable development goals will lead us to peace, prosperity, and make our planet more equitable for all. But we have to get busy. We don't have time to sit around and just listen to me. We have to use the God-given gifts that we have. Mine is speaking. So I will ask you, have me speak to your Rotary Club. Have me speak to your conversations with your chapters of whatever. I need to be out there, and you do too. Thank you, Barbara. That's great. So let's get to uh, the Q&A from our um very engaged audience today. Everyone is smiling and happy. I've been reading the comments. So I want to uh, share with you a question from Melanie Bennett. She says, I understand that Robert was inspired by Gary Davis. Tell us more about that and how Gary's carriage helped inspire the founders of the European Parliament. That's a fabulous question. Gary Davis is one of my heroes. Gary Davis was on the banks of the rivers between East and West Germany and he was not going to cross the pass without a passport. They wouldn't let him cross because he wasn't going to have a passport. Long story short, Robert and I went, and we went where Gary Davis camped. Now, I can't tell you the whole story, but I'm going to tell you that Gary Davis was an inspiration, and you look it up on Google, and you will find that this guy made the cover of Life magazine. He yeah. spoke to the United Nations. He was the one who said we all need a global passport. Gary Davis came to my house. He was the first visit with Arthur and Melanie. They came to our home in Goleta, and they came into this hollowed place where Robert had passed. We lit a candle, and we began to talk. I have a, on YouTube, I have that meeting. I'm also in the Gary Davis movie at the end, and I say, someday, Gary, people are going to say that we knew Gary Davis was going to give us this global passport. We need a global passport, and we need to become global citizens. Everything that happens to anybody happens to me. That's how connected we are. And I know that. I have interviewed over hundreds of peacemakers, and they're on peacepodcast.org. Go there. And if you ever get down in the dumps, listen to a peace podcast by somebody that you admire. You'll get out of the dumps right away, and you'll get busy. Thank you, Barbara. Um, so here is a, a comment and a question from Thomas Carlisi. He's saying, hi, Barbara. I have been smiling for the past hour, uh, enjoying your enthusiastic and heartfelt messages of peace and examples of find your passion and make it happen. In review, I met you at the Rotary International Convention in Atlanta, Georgia in 2017, and one to the topics we shared was nonviolent communication. 
and the work of Marshall uh, Rosenberg, International Peace Builder. My question is, non my question, is nonviolent communication part of the curriculum of the Peace University in Costa Rica? All the best, Thomas Carlisi. Absolutely. They have more violence prevention curriculum and more ways for mediation to save these warring countries. I think that what Robert's dream for the university was that if we begin to practice nonviolent communication, we will learn that we are very much alike rather than we are so different, that we can become who we need to be in order for us to save our planet. So non I love Marshall Rosenberg. He came to my house when Robert was still alive and he had tea with us and we talked and I said, Marshall, what's your dream? And his dream was to have everybody's needs met because when your needs are met, you don't have to have a violent outcome. Why do you think we're having so much violence now? Because nobody's listening. They're not paying attention to the least served of our planet. And demonstrations are sometimes the only way. I remember Martin Luther King, he said at a conference for the media, thank God we have radio, he said. My people wouldn't have known a thing if they didn't have radio. So I honor every one of you who brought the message that my people could be free and equal. And I'll never forget Martin Luther King. It was a sad day. You know, pay attention to who comes into your life and the messages they bring. And Martin Luther King, we just celebrated his birthday. And it's just really an important time for us to remember these people who I had a dream and he would say that, radio saved my people. Oh, I love that man. Yeah, we, we, love, um, we love him because he led with, from his heart and he cared with love. He, he was not uh, leading with anger. He led with love and forgiveness and wanted to collaborate with others. That's why that question about nonviolent communication led me to Martin Luther King, the perfect example of going to jail so many times he said, I'm sorry I'm late for this talk today, but I had to go to jail a little bit. <laughs> that was him. Going to jail was no big deal. He needed to work for what he needed to work for. So um, so there's the two questions are kind of the same from uh, Marsha Hunt and uh, oh, Marsha. Hi, Marsha. <laughs> yeah. So she's a, from, uh, a question from Facebook and also from Arthur Ken um, Ennings. I don't yeah, Ennings. Uh, so um, both kind of are similar questions about like, uh, the, what is the important thing uh, in Rotary and individual Rotarians can do for peace right now? And also um, as a president of the Rotary E-Club of World Peace, what is it the goals that you wish Rotarians to lead as the president of the Rotary E-Club of World Peace and as a peacemaker in general? Well, the best part about Rotary is that we get together to have common community projects. Maybe the projects that we do in our community will inspire maybe more people to do more than just sit home and wait for the government to take care of them. We are action oriented. Marsha, you have to have her on one of your speech. I think she's coming up, isn't she, Marsha Hunt? She actually um, did. We have we had an interview with Marsha. Everybody who's watching, if you missed it, go to YouTube. You definitely need to watch Marsha's uh, uh, episode and learn more about her work in Uganda. Yeah. Oh, this is what I'm talking about. When I was at the 50th anniversary of the Rotary, I'm sorry, the 50th anniversary of the United Nations in San Francisco, 
I found out Rotary was part of the United Nations signing of the charter in San Francisco at the very beginning of the United Nations. Rotary, if you only knew how important Rotary is, pay attention, let Rotary guide you and you guide Rotary. Get a project that brings peace to your community. If it's as simple as feeding the hungry and the poor, giving, they came to Santa Barbara, Rotary um, 5330, the chapters, I mean, the whatever it is that we're in, and they painted out the whole Boys and Girls Club. They brought backpacks for everybody. They get these kids, anyway, peace begins with action, action. If you're not sure what peace is, remember it, it's a right relationships. Start some relationships with people in your community. Invite them to a Rotary Club. Our goal in October is to bring a partner every Rotary Club meeting to bring somebody new so they can understand. Our speakers are phenomenal. Sharon Tennyson, I mean the speakers, she just spoke about her trips to Russia when she said nobody was taking any care of these Russians. They weren't working together in harmony. She starts trips to Russia. You can't believe her story. We're all archived on Rotary eClub of World Peace and you can Google Sharon Tennyson and listen. Rudy Westervelt started the Rotary um, Peace Conference in 2016. Joni and Raymond Madison, founders of Pathways to Peace, when Rudy, when Rudy called them, said there's only one person you need for your Rotary E-Club, I'm sorry, your Rotary Peace Conference, and that's Barbara Gahn-Mueller. So they came to Santa Barbara, I took them out to lunch, and we were in harmony from that day forward. We did the Rotary 2016 Peace Conference, I interviewed 85 speakers, they're all available on peaceconference2016.org. And after the conference, Rudy and I looked at each other with Mark Fowler and we said, where do we go now? Let's start the Rotary E-Club of World Peace. And it's available every Tuesday night at 6.30 and anybody can come on to our, just sign in and join us. So I've what attended, does Rotary do? A lot. I've attended a couple of your meetings, more, more than a couple. I, I show up sometimes and I'm, I'm always thrilled with the speakers and the energy and the harmony of the group. It's one of my favorite clubs in the world. So check it out, the E-Club of World Peace. We need more Rotarians in the world, and uh, you can join, like Barbara said. Um, and you are the president this year. I am. I am. Yeah, they're yeah, so lucky. They're so lucky to have you as the president, Thank Barbara. Thank you. Thank you. It's a fun job. It's a lot of work, but, um, you know, I can motivate and create, and I have David Wick who's going to follow me, and it's just wonderful to work for peace and to have a crew. You know, sometimes, since Robert is no longer on the planet and then now sig is no longer on the planet i get to go to my family of rotarians on tuesday night they're my family how are you doing how are you, are you okay they wrote me notes they send me chats they make sure i'm okay rotary cares and i think if you're not a caring person rotary might be a good place for you to learn compassion empathy and all the skills that make us a planet of peace Thank you, Barbara. That's a great way to describe Rotary. It's a source of compassion and care, and we can, and it's contagious when we are around the right, uh, like-minded and like-hearted people. So, a question from Susan Mosi. She says, "Is Barbara? Are you Barbara recommending becoming a member of the United Nations Associations?" Oh yes, I would recommend that. In before you turn off your TV tonight, you be a member of the University. I mean, the UNA. 
um, unasb.org. You can even join mine for $25. And you know what we're doing on the end, 24th of this month, September? We're having our fourth annual Santa Barbara UNA Peace Prize. I want you to think about who in your neighborhood, who in your community could be a peacemaker and they want to honor them. Remember the engineering of consent, awareness, information, persuasion, reassurance, and evaluation. Robert won so many awards, and I would encourage you to get an award for something you're doing. Why? Because it brings attention to what you're doing. What does the Nobel Peace Prize do? Brings attention to what they're doing. That's the awareness, persuasion, reassurance, reassurance. When I got the Brian Berman Awakening Peace Award, it was a reassurance that I am doing the right thing, that I am following Fred Armet, the founder of the International Cities of Peace. Um, and following the, uh, his, I think in a minute, um, for nuclear weapons, abolition of nuclear weapons. And then I'm here awakening Peace Award three, and not because I need an award, but because it brings attention and awareness to what I'm doing. And that's what we need. That's what awards are for. They're not there just to come home and smile. It's because they're doing that third step, awareness, persuasion, reassurance, that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, and it uplifts the message of the peacemakers and peace leaders um, and empowers them to reach out more people. Uh, so thanks, Barbara, for highlighting why awards are there. And so we need to reward the peace builders out there uh, who are doing the work, um, you know, like Barbara. Thank you. So um, the last question before we move into the last section of closing and uh, inspirational section of this conversation. Uh, Tom Schneider is asking you, Barbara, to, tell, to talk more to us about practicing resilience. Uh, so how can, especially we're going through rough times right now with quarantine, uh, fires, um, you know, conflict everywhere. If you can give people a message um, for resilience and hope, what, what would that be? It's a really tough time for so many. And that's where our compassion comes in, to be aware that you may have a meal on your table, you may have good clothes, you know. In fact, we're the richest part of the United States because we know where our next meal's coming from. We have a clean set of clothes. That puts us right up there with the richest people on the planet. Because think about the people who are working for a dollar a day and they're feeding their children. So resilience is about paying attention to yourself. Take care of yourself. You know, on an airplane they say, now if or did we have a problem, you moms put the mask on first. Take care of yourself first because then you can take care of your child. So my resilience comes from eating right, exercising and meditating. I pay attention and I'm, I have to be in nature. If I'm not happy, like this morning, I was working on some work and I got tired. So I went out and watered my garden. I grow my own food, thanks to my son. I am resilient because I have proper nutrition. I have good thoughts. And I just interviewed on peacepodcast.org, you must watch this one, Dr. Larry Dossie. Dr. Derry Dossie says, we are one mind. That's his latest book. And he said, what you think moves into the universe and stays forever. So when Sig passed, I said, Sig, I'll remember everything you told me, your kindness, your love, but I also your ideas. He was the most brilliant idea person. He was an engineer and his ideas and his good thoughts are there forever. Keep those thoughts pure. Don't let TV make you sidetracked into what isn't working. Robert and I would talk all the time to these duped group of students. And they would say, how do you stay so positive? Well, we work on the idea of what we want in the world, not what we don't want. 
And you know, people, politicians in particular, can get you off track by what they say. And you can go home and say, can you believe that? No. Can you believe that we're going to make a difference, you and me, my dear, my children, my grandchildren? I make sure that everybody in my life, if I can do anything about it, are healthy, well-fed, and take care of those that need it. And my mother always said, if I had something and somebody needed it, you'd hand it to them. And I say, well, not exactly, but I probably would if I had what they needed because I knew they needed it more than me. Really, what do you need in the earth? Water, good food, a couple changes of clothes, and peace. So Barbara, to capitalize on this question, is there uh, practices of peace that we can do within our home uh, to build, like to emphasize our um, intention and work for peace and advancement of peace? Is there little things that we can do right now? So, I was just gonna show, yeah, I, went, I oh, it's right here. I was speaking at a Montessori school in October 24th is UN Day. And um, this little girl said, oh, Mrs. Mueller, you're so important. I'm so little. I said, hmm, you are little and you're important too. And I looked in the back of the Montessori room and it was a big auditorium with 600 students. And I said, look at that word. Everybody turned around and the word was peace. And it was right kind of on the corner. And I said, why don't we start a peace corner? And you can have a peace corner in your house. You can have a peace corner in your classroom. And then that's your neutral zone. You know what that means? Yeah, you can't fight. Right. It means you can go in that peace corner. And if at home, if your mother's yelling at you and you're tired of it, you just go sit in the peace corner. That's your neutral zone. And she can't yell at you. If your mother needs to be alone, she could sit in the peace corner and you could leave her alone. What about your mother sitting in the peace corner? So this peace corner has spread. There are 8,000 Montessori schools classrooms that now have peace corners. You can go on the website and you'll see me on a YouTube. I'm doing a YouTube uh, video with these three little children and I'm sitting in front of this Unity Church and I'm saying, hi, do you know I have a present for you today? These three little kids come sit up on the tape, on the stage with me and I hold my purse and I said, in here is something we all need. And of course they're looking at me like, what do we all need? And I said, I'm going to give you one, but promise me you won't paste it on anything until your mother sees it because they have a little sticky on the back. And I said, it's a, can you read that to me? And they said, peace corner. I said, yeah. And you're going to go give one to everybody here today. A peace corner. What does that mean? What does peace mean? And they told me. And then now we have peace corners in churches at Unity. And that's a simple thing. And I wrote an article for Thrive Global called Bringing Peace into 2025, Things You Can Do Today. I love this idea of Peace Corner. Um, so uh, another thing for young people that um, I'd like you to share with them is about your first job. Uh, the young people are watching us today. Can you tell them like what kind of advice you can tell them uh, to move ahead in those difficult circumstances and also uh, share your story of how you started your career and uh, accomplishments in life and all the great work you're doing? Thank you. It's just that's a simple little story. I was telling her about when I was a teenager in San Diego and I told my mother, I'm going to get a job. I was nice and tall and I looked older than I was. I was only 15, but I wanted a job. And so it was Easter and Cresses. You don't even remember Cresses, but it was a five and dime. They don't even have them anymore. It was downtown San Diego and I got a job at Cresses because I was tall and they hired me and hired 15 girls at Cresses to work in the candy counter. And I was the only one they kept after Easter was over. 
And so I said to my manager, I said, why did you keep me? She said, because you were always working. You were cleaning up. You were doing things that made me impressed by what you were doing. And the other girls were sitting under the counter eating candy. Can you believe that? And, and I thought, hmm. So anyway, long story short, I started my first, everything I've ever done, I did it with my whole heart and gratitude. I was so grateful to have a job at 15 that I just kept making more work for myself there. And then pretty soon I was the popcorn girl and I got to work for Cressers. And then I had that on my resume. And I always look good wherever I go. That's my motto. If I'm going to go to the grocery store, look like I'm going someplace special, even the grocery store. And so long story short, I got that job. And then my dad helped me, my dear, dear dad, get a job at a swimming pool. So I put myself through college with this job at the swimming pool. And I've always had the work ethic. Um, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, it's always magic. I don't care what it is. Just do it the best of your ability. Yeah, and this is a great advice for young people to just do the best you can where you are. Be present 100%. And that's eventually is gonna, it's, it's inevitable that you are gonna go to the next level. Uh, but we need to put in the work. And the young people today are smarter than we are. If I only had one young person working, working with me, I could get this media, social media going better. You guys are smart. We need you. Don't sell yourself short. Use your skills. Tell them how great you are. My intern just got a fabulous job. I couldn't even believe it. And he just got a job using his social media skills for the goodwill. So if you go on goodwill.org and you want to bid on some of these products that they have, my intern probably put them up there. Use your skills and let the world know how good you are. Don't ever underestimate who you are or what you can do. And also shout your values. And that's the positivity and the right attitude and the mindset. Always work on the mindset. So Barbara, I, I, one last question before we wrap this up. Um, and I would love to know what is your dream for our world? Well, I was a, when I was a little girl, one of my neighbors was not happy and she was my girlfriend and she lived in a big house with a bunch of brothers and she just was miserable. And so I remember saying to Helen, Helen, someday I want to make every child on our earth happy. And you can't be happy if we have wars or poverty. And so my dream is that everybody born today will be happy. And happy doesn't mean that you're just going to get a material happy. Happy because there's no war. Happy because you're able to walk in nature. Happy because you're safe. Happy because you can get a good education. And us women, we need a good education. Do you know the, you know the research? Give a woman an education, you save a village. So with that, I say, peace be with you. And remember, peacepodcast.org. If you're a little down in the dumps, go watch some of these amazing speakers. Amazing, Larry Dossing. Melody, and I mean, there's so many people who have the inspiration we need for today. And I should second this, Barbara. The peacepodcast.org uh, is amazing. I love, I was actually listening to it, trying to research Barbara, and of course, knowing Barbara's work, and I always feel better uh, listening to her podcast. So please do that. And uh, this is Barbara's call to action for all of us. We should, uh, a great way to celebrate Peace Day is to go to the peacepodcast.org, uh, read the peace charter uh, for we, the people of planet Earth, Join the United Nations Association chapter, join the Rotary Action Group for Peace, where Barbara is a board member, 
become a peace builder club that's part of the Rotary Action Group for Peace network of global peace builders and join um, our Rag for Peace uh, Day events. Uh, so, um, uh, Barbara, do you have any last thoughts before I wrap this up? No, but I think we should also try to all become cities of peace. You know, Fred okay. Armand started the Cities of Peace, and that's the one who gave me this Awakening Peace Award. Um, you know, think about what you can do. Talk to your mayor. We all have at the city council meeting, they have a five minutes of public input before the meeting begins. Say something, say something. Get there and say, Awakening, that's me. Barbara Gone Miller, isn't that beautiful? Brian Berman created that beautiful uh, model, and I'm so proud. Thank you. Thank you, Reem. We're so proud of you, Barbara. Please, if you can work on making uh, your city a city of peace, please do that. We all need our cities to bring peace intentionally to their different structures. And um, I'm aware of the cities of peace work. It's really important work, especially that I studied city and regional planning. So I'm biased that way. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, thank you so much, Barbara. So thank you also. I want to wrap this up by thanking all of you for joining us for another fascinating conversation with Barbara today on Together for Peace. Today, we learned that peace is a daily responsibility and lifestyle that we can intentionally pursue to bring kindness, compassion, and hope to shape peace day. Um, as we continue to shape peace together, please join us Monday the International Day of Peace for more special events and conversations with the Rotary Action Group for Peace. I'd like particularly to highlight the inspiring conversation with Jessica and Race uh, uh, Boyan um, as they share their personal stories, the moment their lives intersected, and all the and the life they uh, share working to realize world without violence, a world without victims, and a world without hate. A reminder on peace day of how love is essential to shaping peace. We are also hosting a Rotary Peace training on the synergies between peace building and nonviolent action. This training will be conducted for peace builders to understand how to use uh, people power and community organizing to tackle power imbalances, corruption, racism, and violence, hindering our work for peace with justice. Uh, please look out for our newsletter coming today uh, Facebook page and Evan Bright for the full listing and details of Rag of Peace Day celebrations and events. Thank you for making Together for Peace realize the power of turning our living rooms into platforms for positive peace education, collaboration, and action. To continue the momentum and conversation, please sign up for uh, our Peace Day events, read our newsletter, and don't forget to fill out our survey subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share this episode with the world. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter to stay up to date to on the latest Together for Peace news. Uh, please join us next week uh, for an interview with Fergal Mc McCarthy um, as we discuss the passion to work for peace after intimately experiencing the conflict of Northern Ireland. Um, until next time, stay safe, stay well, keep your smile big and your heart open. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Continue to shape and wage peace and happy International Day of Peace to all of you. Thank you so much, Barbara. You're welcome. Enjoy your peace. Enjoy your peace. Thank you. Thank you.